Pen and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. We are at book club number 16, I believe this is, and the plan was to go over uh, James Kerr's legacy about the New England, or New England, New Zealand, all blacks, uh, but I haven't quite got finished breaking down that book. I just got done reading it a week or so ago, and with everything that's going on and my my professional um, uh, things that I need to do, my commitments to my job, I just haven't had a chance to go through that yet. The plan is that will be next week's books, uh, next week's book club, James Kerr's Legacy about the New Zealand All Blacks. So. Uh, but I've got another good one here today, and, and this one may be a little bit more applicable to male coaches coaching female athletes. Uh, this is Anson Dorrance's The Man Watching. That's the name of the book, The Man Watching. Uh, it was written by a guy named Tim Crothers, C-R-O-T-H-E-R-S. And it is, um, if you are a male coaching female athletes, I cannot encourage you enough to go and purchase this book right now, read through it, get out your highlighter, and you're probably going to cramp up because you're going to be highlighting so much. Um, It is a tremendous look into the uh, psyche and the relationship of a male coach with his female players and how uh, Anson Dorrance has kind of, in many ways, cracked uh, that code. Um, of course, Anson Dorrance, for those of you that are unfamiliar who he is, he is the legendary University of North Carolina women's soccer coach, uh, won over 20 national championships. I forget the exact number, um, but uh, w- winning percentage of like 90, 95%, 93%, something around there. Uh, just a, a, a absolute legend. And of course, uh, he's had tremendous talent and he probably, you know, he got out ahead of the curve when it came to recruiting female athletes, but there's also things that he does within his coaching philosophy uh, that I thought were really, really good stuff, and it, it's a it's a big book. It's a thick book, uh, but you are not going to be disappointed. I encourage everybody to read it, but again, uh, if you are a male coaching female athletes, I think it's a uh, almost a must-read for you. Uh, just some things uh, that uh, that Dorrance talks about here in the book um, that are directly applicable to coaching female athletes. Uh, he talks about videotape. Uh, he says that he only uses video to build confidence. Uh, he and again, let me let me be clear with all of this. Uh, these views are Anson Dorrance's views. Uh, it's not the view of every male coach coaching female athletes. Uh, it's not necessarily completely 100% my views with everything that he says in the book. Uh, I'm, I am going to highlight some things that, that after coaching female athletes for, for 23 years that, that I strong, you know, I think he's, he's really accurate with. Does this apply to every female athlete? Absolutely not. But when we're talking the large percentage, I, I think it does. So he talks about videotape. Um, and like I said, he, he says he only uses it to show positive play. Um, he says when you show film that is critical of, of, of anyone on the team in front of the team, 
every female in the room feels like you're talking about them, whether it's directly or indirectly, so they take it very personally. He says that a lot of female athletes struggle with confidence, and therefore he feels like it is his job to build up their confidence. And how does he do that? He 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 only shows positive plays of, of each player or of the team. Now, when he needs to be critical of an athlete, he does it along the side. He does it in private. He... Uh, he, you know, coaches them one-on-one when he needs to be critical of them. Um, he talks about halftime and, and, and basically your, your temper, your, uh, you know, coming in yelling, kicking, screaming, especially if you play poorly. Uh, his, his direct quote is, if you kick a trash can in front of the women, they think you're a friggin' idiot. And if you think about it, you are. Okay. So, um, you know, and we've all, I know I've been there, <laughs> literally have kicked a, a, a trash can before at a halftime. Um, he says the critical thing is tone. Uh, he says you turn to them and face them calmly and you say, what do you think? And then they take it internally and they start thinking about themselves and what they need to do better. Uh, even if they don't, even if they haven't done anything wrong, he says, even the, the players who haven't played think, well, I haven't cheered hard enough. I haven't, uh, I haven't done the, you know, my role. And he says, the calmer you keep it in those situations, the more self-critical, uh, uh, females become. And, you know, he says, you haven't criticized them at all. You've just reconstructed it a bit. And now when the halftime talk ends, they are willing to go really go after them because they feel like you're supporting them. And, and they're the ones that are making the adjustments. Okay. He talks about lineup changes and, and this would be changing starting lineups. Uh, here's a direct quote from the book. Women are easier to coach than men because they listen to criticism, which I think is really, really true at most points. Um, I, I believe that, that, Females are much more willing to be coachable and listen to criticism, as long as it's constructive criticism, much more than men are. Uh, but he says uh, they are very sensitive to slights, and the bond on women's teams, whether it's a, a positive bond or a negative bond, is much stronger than it is on a men's team. And so when someone is moved out of the starting lineup or when somebody is, you know, their role changes because of their performance, uh, most of the team, most of the time is going to be very empathetic to them. Uh, so, uh, you have to be, you have to be cognizant of that, that not only are you moving that, uh, person, but you are moving, uh, it is a movement within the entire team. Okay. He talks about praising, uh, women and he says basically not to sing out, single out any one person in front of the whole team with praise uh, because he believes that uh, the female players become very jealous as a result of this. Uh, here's a quote from the book. If you want to praise a, a female player, the most powerful form of praise is personal one-on-one. -on -one. As she's walking off the field, you're on her shoulder, and in a voice that only she can hear you say, you are awesome today, um, or something along those lines. Um, he says that is a much more positive way. When you're talking about the team in front of the team, you talk about the team. You, you, you do not single out one person for, for praise or for criticism. When you're addressing the team, it is simply you keep it to the team. Okay. Um, he says that women are, are very cognizant of the coach's body language. Um, and, and they're going to interpret what you're saying via your body language, not necessarily what is is coming out of your mouth. So I, I think that's really something that we need to be aware of as coaches all, at all times. Okay. Um, 
he, he says uh, with his female athletes, he says, you relate to them personally. You lead them by caring about them. Women have to understand that your relationship with them is never in jeopardy. And, and he, you know, relationships are important whether you're coaching males or females. And uh, but he really emphasizes the the one-on-one relationship with uh, his female athletes, and if he needs to criticize them, he does it in a one-on-one situation. If he if he needs to critic if he needs to praise them, he tries to do that in a one-on-one situation. Um, and then we get to uh, he he talks about there's this long passage in the book about how while he was at North Carolina, uh, he went in and watched Dean Smith practice one day. And one of the things he noticed is how much Dean Smith kept track of on a daily basis. Dean Smith, kind of the first real analytical coach, Uh, he would record free throws, rebounds, steals, turnovers, every statistic, uh, competitions, who won, who lost. Uh, Now, Dean Smith probably had 20 managers that were able to run around and keep track of all of these uh, different things. Um, But then at the end of every practice, immediately Dean Smith had a... A, a chart information for each player to know, hey, uh, Sam Perkins, you got your butt kicked by Brad Doherty today. You, you know, here it is statistically. Uh, you shot 30%. Brad Doherty shot 60%. Uh, you know, he was much better than you. You've got to be better than that. Uh, things like that. Now, again, uh, Dean Smith had that advantage where he had 20 managers in the in the gym with him being able to keep track of those things. We as high school coaches are lucky to have one really good manager that we can really depend on for things like that. But what Dorrance says about this is that keeping stats provided a meaningful incentive to compete and concentrate in practice. And it was an ingenious way to convince the players that everything makes a difference and that everything counts, which leads to Dorrance's Dorrance's, uh, greatest um, thing that he's known for, which he calls his competitive cauldron. And, uh, he took that and he brought it into his, his soccer program, and, and he called it the competitive cauldron. And he kind of took those, to, you know, his passing statistics. How efficient were you with your passing t- statistics? How efficient were you in, in transition from offense to defense or defense to offense and all the different things that you keep track of uh, in soccer? And it was immediate feedback, and it, it created this competitive cauldron on a daily basis for his players to to understand and to track themselves individually and compare themselves to one another. Um, so in addition to to the book, and again, all of these things that Dorrance says, Dorrance says about his views on female athletes, um, those are his views, and I'm just taking them from the from the book. Um, so I don't mean to offend anybody with those uh, views. Does again, does it apply to every female? Absolutely not. Does the, the comparison to male to female apply in all situations? Absolutely not. But I do think there are a lot of correlations with that. So one of the things that we did was we, I took this book and I created uh, what I call the the Anson Dorrance program, and at the beginning of the year, Dorrance gives his players a uh, a survey that they have to to take, and he asks them to to rate themselves. Um, and for example, uh, he you know one through five, 
uh, one being extraordinary, five being, you know, I don't do this very well. I, you know, I'm really bad at this. Uh, number one, I don't whine. And, you know, there's a little definition of it. Uh, number two, the truly extraordinary do something every day. Number three, we want these four years of of college. Now we replace that for high school to be rich, valuable, and deep. And there are 12 overall questions that, that we used. And then what we did is we broke it down to every day we were going to emphasize one of those 12 things for 12 days. And it really coincided with our first 12 to 13 practices of the year. So we talked about attitude day one. We talked about self-discipline day two appreciation day three so forth and so on down the line and we gave examples of it there were some there were two to four questions that we asked the kids to answer we tried to discuss it as a group and we tried to increase our team bond by putting this program into place i think uh the kids that were really open-minded to it i think they got a lot out of it i think there's some kids just like with anything um they they didn't and and that's unfortunate for them because i think uh and that's you know, I, I will say this, the kids that didn't put a whole lot into it or were not enthusiastic about it uh, were not some of our best teammates to begin with. And it was just another example of why it was difficult to bring them into the fold as teammates. So I think more than anything else, that kind of shows you who's all in with your team and with your program that year. So if you would like some information on the Anson Dorrance program, uh, feel free to email me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and I will surely share that with you. Uh, if you're listening, you are on iTunes or SoundClouds. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, like it, rate it, review it. Uh, five stars, forward this out to everybody. You know, one of the really, you know, if there's some good things, and there's been a lot of good things that have come out of this really tragic situation with our current health crisis, the, the information that is bouncing around right now is incredible. And um, I'm, I'm having to spend more time uh, getting my teaching stuff lined up, but I can't wait to uh, really dive into a lot of these really good things that have been out there. Just so many good, good things um, out there uh, with uh, coaches helping coaches and communicating with one another. Just so good. So uh, keep track of that. Like I said, you got our email, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Um, Coaches, this was Anson Dorrance, The Man Watching by Tim Crothers, C-R-O-T-H-E-R-S. I, again, I cannot encourage you enough to purchase this book and go through it. Get out a couple. You're going to go through more than one Sharpie, I guarantee you. You're going to go through more than one highlighter. Uh, there are so many good things in this book. So, coaches, stay safe. As always, be sure to hone your craft one day.